This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And welcome back to part two with Liz Norrell. Liz is a professor of political science at Chattanooga State. She's also a yoga teacher and a life coach. And in this episode, we talk with her a little bit about each of the nine numbers and how she formulates a class with each number in mind. So we're talking to her about how the Enneagram informs her work as a teacher. We also talk a little bit about memories of favorite teachers in this episode, which was fun. But I just am so grateful for our teachers. I think of the quote from Rumi, set your life on fire, seek those who fan your flames. And teachers really do that. They help us to grow and be more than we ever thought was possible. So a shout out to all our teachers. Thank you for what you do. Um, It makes a difference in this world, and Liz is making a difference in this world at Chattanooga State as a professor, and we're just so grateful for her time. You're going to love this episode. Thanks for joining us. Back to you being a professor at Chattanooga State. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you teach. I know you said earlier uh, political science, but tell us about your classes and how the Enneagram informs your teaching. So I knew that I wanted to be a college professor like from the age of 21 or 22. Like I just, I I was always very shy as a kid um, and I didn't like public speaking. But Mm -hmm. then I had the opportunity to give a a really short talk about something I really cared about. And that was the difference, right? It was that purposeful kind of communication. And so... You know, I've been teaching for a long time. I love, love teaching. I, I don't think there's anything in this world I love more. Um, and it doesn't really matter what I'm teaching, but political science is where I landed because I've always loved um, kind of trying to understand the motivations behind different political actors. You know, my research was all about polarization and how people develop extreme political attitudes Perhaps that doesn't come as a surprise as a surprise after this conversation. Um, but you know, my goal in teaching primarily an intro to American government class at Chat State is to help my students understand how to listen to people they disagree with and find common ground. And again, this is no surprise for a two that that would be my orientation, right? Yeah. But I'm I'm really really focused. I I use a chapter from Brene Brown's book Braving the Wilderness called people are hard to hate close up, move in. Again, could, could this be any more to you? I don't think so, but that's where we start our semester. And I'm really just trying to help, you know, 28 or 30 students at a time create the world I want to live in where people 
aren't hateful just because you disagree with me. Um, so the Enneagram has helped me in my teaching by just kind of helping me understand all the different ways that people come to interacting with other people. And I can talk about, you know, I think maybe we'll talk about kind of each type and what I think about when I'm thinking about that type in the classroom. But, you know, even without giving my students an Enneagram test or talking about it, I'm just kind of able to use this this kind of radar or this understanding of these different nine different energies mm -hmm. to read the room a little bit better and try to facilitate dialogue across different types as well as different political ideologies. I, it's just been, but mostly, mostly the Enneagram is useful in teaching because it helps me know what I'm bringing into the room. And I just don't believe that you can be effective as a teacher if you don't know who you are really well. Yeah, yeah. That's so. I love that quote by Brene Brown. I may be um, getting it wrong, but people are hard to hate close up, move in closer mm -hmm. quote. Mm -hmm. Good. It's the and name it's of a chapter in her book. And oh, it's, it's just brilliant. Yeah, uh, we're big Brene Brown fans, so we, we love her. Um, although I, I've read all of her books, except for the new one, and I'm working on it. And it's because it's like a textbook, it's hard for me to read. I feel like I'm back in school when I open it up, but I'm gonna get through it. But that's the only one that's been hard for me to read. I think it's psychological because it feels like I'm back in college reading a textbook, mm -hmm. but she's good. Um, so yeah, I, I refer to her in my mind as Mama Brene. She's like, yeah. you know, she's who I go to for spiritual mothering, like, yeah, I understand. Yeah. And I just recently found out, Kat and I talked about it, that she's an Enneagram one. Brene has, has done the Enneagram test and so she's a self-proclaimed Enneagram one. So for those of us who have a little one in us, you've got a one. I have a one wing. Uh, we definitely need her uh, wisdom about the gift of imperfection and all of that. So um, she's she's definitely uh, been a witness to so many of us. Um, so yeah, I love hearing you talk about teaching lists. So I am a graduate alum many moons ago from UTC and I majored in economics, but I minored in political science. And hearing you speak, I was like, damn, I wish I could have had her as my professor. Back, back, back many, yeah. many years ago. Your passion for it is just so infectious in the best way possible and also I started to think you know like when you go to um to to college university and there's some prerequisites and you have to get algebra one and composition one and whatever I think everybody should take political science one-on-one just for the reason that you've mentioned we are so polarized and we're so my way or the hate highway it i think it has to be like you have to learn about birds and bees and you have to learn how to fucking tolerate somebody who does not agree with you on whatever mm -hmm. that, that really i loved hearing it so thank you for sharing that yeah. but 
you know, all the nine numbers, let me ask you this. So I know you've mentioned that, you know, you have 30 young adults in the room. Of course, you want to be like, which number are you? Which number are you? Which you have to use your teaching skill to teach them as a collective. But if you be able to in high in the sky world, teach to each number, how would that teaching differ from one another? Could you talk a little about that? Sure. And let me just say, yeah, I feel like I start every answer with this. Like, let me, let me explain what I'm thinking about here. Um, I do a lot of work on our campus around equity and equity is kind of about making everyone feel comfortable in the room that, you know, not necessarily that it's designed for each of them individually, but that, you know, there aren't any barriers for them that are taking their attention away from whatever we're there to learn. And so I think about constructing a classroom where every type will hear something that is meaningful and supportive of them. And that's kind of how I frame it. So I'm not trying to teach a class that's suited for a one or a two. I'm trying to teach a class that hits on the kind of um, soft spots of each of the nine types. And so, you know, for ones, it's obviously talking about perfectionistic, perfectionistic tendencies and the inner critic. And so, you know, one of the ways I do that is I really um, encourage students to remember that I care more about their learning than necessarily like the container it's presented in. So I don't like, well, first of all, I don't, I don't give grades. I think grades are stupid. And that's another conversation for another time. But, you know, they give themselves grades. I just read their work. And I'm not going to be interested in policing grammar or sentence structure because that's not what I'm teaching. And that's not the point. So for ones, I try to make it so that they're not seeking perfectionism. They're just trying to share what they're thinking. Um, for twos, I mean, my classroom is, it's sort of impossible to take away the sort of deep care that I have for my students. And I think the twos probably respond to that really well. Um, you know, that's sort of, I, I emphasize that from day one, like, I don't care about what you do in this class. I care about you as a, as a human. And so if life happens and you fail, I'm not going to think less of you. And, you know, this is a place for you to be yourself. Um, for threes, I try to really emphasize the need to slow down and just kind of check in and have some moments of silence in the classroom even. So we're not just rat racing our way through a bunch of accomplishments. Um, so I do start every class with a check-in and I've let that silence go a really long time, very comfortable silence. I let it go for a long time before I'll move on. Um, for fours, I try to really give a lot of opportunities for reflection and to be seen. So pretty much everything my students do is, you know, read this chapter, write a reflection, watch this movie, write a reflection. So there are lots of opportunities for the fours to share of themselves and be seen. And for me to affirm that by saying, oh, that's such an interesting perspective, right? That's very supportive for a four. For fives, um, you know, my brother, like I will, I will love him forever for giving me some tools to work with fives. Um, but it's really inviting people to engage with the classroom, but not requiring it. So um, in my class, we read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson as uh, our core text. And two times a semester, we just go around the circle and everyone has the opportunity to share. 
but they're always willing to pass. You're they're always um, welcome to pass without explanation, and that's fine. So the door is open and they're invited, but they don't have to. Um, for sixes, I give very clear directions. I repeat what to do every single class period, and I give them examples of what I consider to be good work so that you know, some of that anxiety and kind of spiraling hopefully will be taken care of. For sevens, every, so one of my favorite comments that a student has ever made was at the end of the semester, he said, I never know what we're gonna do when I come to class. And to me, that's like a seven classroom, right? So sometimes we play games. Um, sometimes I do this thing where I give them a Supreme Court case like uh, Brown versus Board of Education. And I tell them that they have to act out what happened that made this a Supreme Court case. So someone has to be the daughter and someone has to be the dad, someone has to be the principal, you know, and I have a whole prop box with things they can use. Um, and so, you know, there's just a lot of variety in the class. And I think the sevens appreciate that. For eights, there, there's a semester project where one of the things they have to do is reach out to someone who represents them in government. And so I always wanna focus on the ability to make an impact in the world, how to contact people who have the ability to change things. Um, they can do a project where they actually do something and that can be you know, part of their, their coursework. And then finally for nines, as I've said, the class focuses on civil dialogue and on respecting. Um, I don't like debate because I think debate is when you're waiting for someone else to shut up so you can talk. So we have discussions, but we we do not, um, I will not tolerate name calling or putting people down. So those are kind of the, the things that I try to bring into the classroom. It's a, It sounds like a lot, but so much of it is just kind of been a, an incremental building of my own personal pedagogy and trying to create a classroom where everyone can be successful. So that's kind of what I think about around each type. That is so fantastic. And I love that that's um, helping people without them even having knowledge of the Enneagram to really kind of integrate all nine numbers because you're showing just this, the gifts in a way of all nine numbers through offer. Um, and I think that that healing um, and growth is happening in, that, in the students, even if they're not aware of the Enneagram. And that just shows how the Enneagram really help you with intentionally, you know, building your sort of way of, of, of showing up as a teacher. And as you were talking, and even as Kat was talking earlier about just your passion as a teacher, it led me to think of like my favorite college teacher, which was Dr. Kellogg, hands down. He was like my, I studied religion and psychology in college and he was my religion teacher. And I just loved him and he had so much passion. And so maybe the listeners, maybe you're thinking about a favorite high school or college teacher right now. I think that's important to do. So like think about those people who have been toward us and who have um, just helped us be um, the best version of ourselves, who believed in us. I know he believed in me and I had lots of teachers who did, but I just, I'm so thankful for teachers. And I just want to say like, you make such a big difference in what you do, because I can look back at those teachers who 
who did encourage me and believe in me, especially, which was so important for me as a two to have, you know, I, I felt going into college like a bit of an underdog because I hadn't performed like really well in high school, but I had these teachers who just, you know, were um, amazing with the, the compliments and, and I really, I did better in college than I did in high school and then better in grad school than I did in college. And it was because of encouraging teachers. So um, that's a gift that you have and the passion does come through. And so I just want to mm -hmm. say that. Did, did you have mm -hmm. a favorite teacher looking back? I did, but I, I have, so I have two kids and my youngest has special needs. So I have favorite teacher of my son. Mm. And as you were talking, as talking to you throughout this entire interview, one of my favorite quotes of hers, but of all time, she said, teaching is a ministry. Mm. And like, I'm going to get emotional saying it. I feel like teaching is a ministry to you. It's not a job. It's not a gig. It's not, you have got to have it in your soul, in your heart, in mm. your gut, and you live it every day. So that's, yeah. that's awesome. Thank you. I, I tell my students at the start of every semester, and I'm sure they think I'm joking. And uh, if anyone who's involved in payroll at Chat State is listening, please just turn down the volume. Like I would not stop showing up if they stopped paying me. Like I could, I, you can't keep me out of a classroom. There's nowhere I wanna be more than I wanna be with students. And yeah, it's because it is my life's work. I, I didn't know it for a long time in my late teens and early twenties, but this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's why there's no boundary between my work and my life, because I mean, it just, my students give me back what I give them many times over, over. just watching. It, it's such a privilege to watch someone become who they're gonna be. And the best teachers I had were the people who saw in me something that I wasn't yet ready or able to see in myself and told me. And so, you know, that's the kind of teacher I try to be. and. It's incredibly, incredibly rewarding, fulfilling work that I just feel so incredibly grateful to get to do. Yes, that's a privilege. So what, I know you said there are many teachers, but is there a teacher that sticks out to you um, in all your years of being a student? Yeah, my junior high school English teacher, so my junior year of high school, um, Mrs. Brantley, Vicki Brantley, um, she, she did, she saw in me things that I never would have seen myself and the things she did, and I have paid this forward so many times. She wrote a letter of recommendation when I was applying to college and scholarships, and she gave me a copy and reading how she described me. I mean, I could quote it to you now. I've read it so many times. I have tried to live up to what she saw in me at 18 for the rest of my life. You know, she, you know, she, she talked about me being, having a serenity that the whole room could be chaotic and I would just like sit down and do the work. And that's not something I ever would have noticed about myself as a, as a 17 year old in an English class. Um, but I see that now and I understand myself better because of what her class allowed me to do and, and who she was. So when I write a letter for a student now, I always give them a copy. I tell them why I do it. And I think it's, you know, it's sort of like 
when somebody dies, we say all the things we should have said when they were alive, right? I see it as being kind of like that. Like, I want you to know that I think you're amazing now. Yeah. Or you yeah. go out and do the amazing things that everyone's going to credit you for because you're that, you're that person now. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that, that we all can learn things from each of the nine numbers. And that is something to learn from it too, is, you know, even though sometimes our encouragement is based on our own needs and some, and we have to look at that as twos that are we flattering because we don't feel seen because we don't feel loved. We do have to look at that piece. But on the other hand, people need encouragement. That's how we flower. That's how we grow. And we need to say, I see you. I celebrate you. I love you. I see this in you. I see these gifts in you. Mm-hmm. Like we need that desperately, mm-hmm. especially yeah. now. Um, we're just living in a time when so many people are depressed and anxious and, and they just need to say, hey, you matter to me. You know, how much a nine needs that your presence matters to me. Like, but each of the nine types are going to need different sort of messages. And, and we can do that. Like we can show up for people today. Um, and that's really important. Well, tell us about your podcast. You've got a podcast too. And I want to hear a little bit about the mission of that podcast. It's evolved a bit. It's, you know, so I went through life coach training in 2018 and I, I came out of that knowing that I wasn't going to be like an active life coach because, you know, my college teaching takes up a lot of my bandwidth, but I felt like the tools of that were so incredibly important. It taught me about, really, I think the biggest lesson for me of life coach training was everyone knows what they need to do. Everyone has the answers, but they don't know how to access them always. And so good coaching is about helping people answer their own questions and figure out their own paths. And that was really useful because as a two, it's really easy for me to think that I know how to solve all the problems and I just need to tell you and then you need to do it and then you're gonna love me and we can put a bow on it, right? And so um, the podcast started as a way to kind of deal with the fears that people let hold them back from chasing things that they wanted to. And we did, you know, we did a whole series on like facing health fears. And I talked to a number of people about different health challenges. Um, I talked to a, a neurologist or like a, a, yeah, a neurologist about like, when I wake up and I have a headache, is it a brain tumor? Like, you know, I worry about that at least once a week. Um, and so, you know, I talked to cancer survivors and pediatric pulmonary folks, but in the more recent iterations, um, the podcast, which I, which I call the Liz cast, um, I, I haven't put out a new episode in a while, but, you know, it's really about just having these authentic conversations about what we're really, what we're really struggling with, but not talking about. So maybe my favorite episode that I've done in the last couple of years was a round table with some of my best friends talking about the different ways that mental health challenges show up in our lives and just kind of like talking about like like really talking about what it means to be bipolar experience bipolar disorder or you know what it looks like to balance treating an anxiety disorder with the side effects of taking medicine that treat 
anxiety disorder in the context of a, of a relationship. And, you know, I'm really proud of that. And I, I, that's the kind of stuff I want to do. I want to help people kind of strip back the layers and have those really tender, vulnerable conversations because we are all needing them. And we're, we're just, you know, we live in a world that doesn't support that kind of openness very often. So that's what I, that's what I want the Liz cast to be about. I have one last question for you, Liz. I know uh, one of the missions that's important, important to you is a curvy yoga. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so curvy yoga was started by Anna Gestjelly, who um, founded the, the, the company and she does teacher training. That's where I did my 200 um, yoga teacher training. And it just, it's, it's so, so aligned with my beliefs as a human that everyone can do yoga and yoga is best when it does what you need it to. And so like, I remember my second um, of four modules of teacher training was uh, where we talked about how to teach downward facing dog. And I hate downward facing dog. Like I loathe it. And when we were going through it, I just sort of like crumbled on my mat and I was, I was sobbing and I'm like, I can't be a yoga teacher if I hate downward facing dog. And Anna said, why? I was like, because you can't, that's like a foundational pose. And so the, the way that I teach yoga is very much about make this your practice. And I would rather give you really like low impact accessible poses and tell you how to make them more difficult than give you an aggressive yoga practice and tell you how to make it easier. Because to me, that's more inclusive. It's more supportive. And, you know, the people who want to do advanced acrobatic yoga, they already know how to do that. They don't need me. The people I teach are the people who feel like they wouldn't belong in the 24 hour fitness yoga class that I went to the first time. The people who are afraid to do yoga because they're afraid everybody's going to judge them. And so, you know, a yoga class for me might mean we never get up off the floor, but we're going to do a lot of movements. I've done a lot of teaching yoga in the pool, which is great for people who have mobility challenges or are older and afraid of falling over. They're not, you don't have to be afraid in the pool. As long as you can, you know, stand up and breathe, you're good. So, you know, and it's just a more playful way to do it. So that's, that's kind of how I teach yoga, why I love it. And, you know, I just want more people to understand that yoga is a tool, just like the Enneagram of self-understanding, self-knowledge and, and groundedness so that, you know, we can deal with our own crap and then lead the life that we're meant to lead, which is not obsessed with how we look in a yoga pose or you know, what someone else thinks of us. Liz, thank you so much for being with us today on Enneagram Plus Yoga. So do you have any final thoughts for our listeners before we conclude our episode? I think the only thing I'll say is just to reiterate something I said earlier, which is that I think of both the Enneagram and yoga as tools for self-understanding and embodiment and presence. And I have just found that 
the more I can understand myself and remain grounded in who I am and in the current moment, the more available I am to be in true connection with other people. I think sometimes we feel like the way to, you know, do self-improvement is outer focused. And I really think it's the inner journey that opens up so many opportunities for happiness and joy in this life. So that's what I would leave you all with. Oh, well said. Yeah. And I would say that both yoga and the Enneagram are about that inner journey, that that is where true wisdom is inside of ourselves, you know, Um, and it's hard and we want to run from that work, but that is, that is where growth is. That is where freedom is. That is where life is. So, well, thank you, Liz, for being with us today. Um, You are just so full of wisdom and love and passion. And you are out there, like you said, getting to do uh, a a job that you truly love, which is rare and what a gift that is. Um, But you're just imparting so much to your students and to our listeners today. Um, And so I just thank you for who you are and for your time today. We're really grateful. Thank you for the invitation. It's been a real joy to get to talk to you all. And thank you again. Thank you. All right. Well, namaste. Namaste. In the seated meditation, let's start with prayer hands on our thighs, palms facing up towards the sky. And take a deep breath in. A cleansing breath out. more deep breath in and then find your exhale allow your thumbs to touch your index fingers find a breath in exhale letting something go inhale peace exhale anxiety And then allow your thumbs to touch your middle fingers. Find a breath in. A breath out. Inhale forgiveness. Exhale a piece of a grudge that you're carrying. And then allow your thumbs to touch your ring fingers. Find a breath in. And a healing breath out. Inhale acceptance of life as it is. Exhale the need for life to be perfect. And then allow your thumbs to touch your baby fingers. Find a big breath in. And then exhale out. Inhale, stillness. Exhale, your things to do list for the day. Then allow your palms to face up towards the ceiling. Find a breath in. Find a breath out. 
invite prayer hands to come to your heart and know that the light in me sees and honors the light in you. Namaste.